Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. All right, so this is the good stuff. Yeah. It's the Laugh Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Richard Lusk. Yes, you are. Over there is Ryan Bull. Howdy. We are in an undisclosed location back in our original stomping grounds. No longer Flying Bull Production Studios. We're giving this special because we just have to get this thing in because <laughs> it's probably my favorite movie of the year so far. Wow. Big praise. For episode uh, 186 here, we're going to talk about Hunt for the Wilder People. This is Ricky Baker. Apparently he's a real bad egg. We're talking disobedience, stealing, spitting, running away, throwing rocks, kicking stuff, loitering, and graffiti. There's no one else who wants you, okay? That's my husband, Hector. You hungry? That's a silly question, isn't it? Look at you. <laughs> Is there anything you want me to do? Yeah, leave me alone. Cool. Goodbye, Ricky Baker. Taika Waititi's new movie, which came out earlier this year, back in June. I was able to see it over the summer up in the Kimball Theater in uh, Williamsburg. But I understand that it just now recently came out on um, streaming services? Yeah, uh, most video-on-demand services. I saw it on iTunes. Direct it's TV. also available Amazon. Yeah, all so. of them out there. I saw they were pushing it on uh, Amazon Prime, yeah. so uh, This is a movie that everybody should go see, and I'm kind of upset that there are, there are three people, three critics out there that, that gave it a negative review. So it's got 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's an 8.1 on IMDb, which is huge for IMDb. Um, it's a story about a young boy played by Julian Dennison and his foster father or sort of uncle, Uncle Heck, played by uh, Sam Neill, who become the subjects of a, of a manhunt after they get stranded in the New Zealand wilderness. Now, surprisingly, to, my my fiance hasn't been able to watch this yet, and I'm surprised at myself because there is considerable dog tension in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I saw a guy at the Kimball Theater in a movie we saw earlier in the summer. I saw it with my dad. There was a guy there, and he was talking about how he'd seen Hunt for the Wilder People, which is coming up next week. And he said, and at the Kimball Theater in Williamsburg, he said, uh, "Oh, have you seen that movie, Hunt for the Wilder People? It's awesome." I was like, no, I can't wait to see it. But I need to know, does the dog die? And he says, which one? <laughs> I said, oh, man. Uh. So I don't mind spoiling it for people. The dog, one of the dogs does die. Oh, okay. We'll just yeah, I'm just going to spoil it because, I mean, that's my thing. Because I'm all about the dogs. But I don't think, as I was trying to tell Tony, I don't think that that's, they don't linger on it. And that's why I'm able to to recommend the movie and why it's still one of my favorite movies. It's one of the reasons why this movie is such a great comedy, too. Because they don't linger on the melodrama? No, because they're, it, it, it's not even melodrama. It's just straight-up drama. They have tragedy, tragedy in this film. So you have moments of hilarity, but they're also punctuated by these moments of sadness. And that juxtaposition, I think, makes it pay off a lot more. Uh, you know, go back to, like, Django Unchained. It has <laughs> yeah. the funniest scene for a movie of that year. I think that was 2014. Mm-hmm. It also had one of the scariest moments right before that mm-hmm. of the year. So by having that juxtaposition, that's one of the things this film does so well. The balance of light and dark mm-hmm. 
evil and good forces. Well, just, yeah, because it's able to jump back and forth, I think it works really well. And that's a skillful director who's able to balance those elements. Now, I and my father went through some personal things at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the summer with my mom's passing. Um, and so there are some personal moments in the movie that tug on the heartstrings. This is probably the, maybe the second movie we went to. My dad and I go to a lot of movies. I've talked about it on the show before. Mm -hmm. My dad and I go to a lot of movies and I've never really seen him be emotional in a movie, but he had that emotional reaction in a few scenes in this movie. And he said it was tough for him to get through, but he was upset that there aren't enough movies like this out there. He's like, why do we have to see so much crap all the time when we can actually go see a good movie? They make good movies, obviously. I said, well, that's why I drug you all the way up to Williamsburg. <laughs> it's a good half hour away. Uh, this is by, as we mentioned, Taika Watiti, who is best known probably for what we do in the shadows most recently, the mockumentary kind of thing. Yeah, some people probably also saw him on Fly of the Condor. Yeah, he was the the... He was in Flight of the Concords. Concords. Yeah, the, uh, the HBO show. But he was also behind Green Lantern, which you said was a drawback for you. I think when I mentioned it before, because once I saw this movie, I was all on board for Thor Rangoric. He's he's directing that. Okay, I didn't know he was involved in Lantern. Yeah, I think that you. I think that you. I thought that was one of the drawbacks. Why you weren't too hot on seeing Hunt for the Wilder People when I first mentioned that I saw it. Okay, I mean, I, I saw what we do in the shadows. That was all right. Uh, Eagle vs. Shark. I, never I did thought see that, that was just weird. And I never saw Boy, his other film. He, so. I did see the Oscar-nominated short of his Two Cars, One Night. Which, I mean, he's an Oscar-nominated director. And I think it was his first short movie. It's not it's nothing like this. But this guy has a sophisticated sense of humor that is right in my line. There's a lot, a lot of understatement. And a lot of, you know, irony and... Uh, like very subtle humor that happens in the movie. And so many lines, I, I was just reading the quotes on the IMDB page. It reminded me a lot of, uh, well, for me, Napoleon dynamite, like a cross between Napoleon dynamite and moonrise kingdom or, or some other Wes Anderson, type movie, um, story for this movie was originally by Barry Crump. A lot of it was, um, a lot of the scenes were based on like personal experiences that he'd, he'd had. So, so there's not a ton of improv in this film. Not that I know of. I saw a few um, interviews with Julian Dennison and Sam Neill, and I, not as much as you would expect from something like what we see in the shadows or what we mm -hmm. do in the shadows, which seems to be really heavy. It's probably why I liked it more because I normally don't go for the improv-heavy films. What you hunt for the wilder people? You mean? Yeah, I, I enjoyed this film quite a bit. I don't think it's my top film of the year, but. Uh, should be in my top ten. I can't think it's of, at least in my top ten right now. When well, I think when we did the top ten at the half year point, I think I had the witch up there somewhere near the top. So I I know this is better than that. This this for me it gets better with each watching. And I've I saw it again preparing for the podcast, and I laughed and laughed and laughed. And my fiance Tony was in the other room; she couldn't watch it because dog tension no. and. And she just heard me laugh, and she was like, "Why are you, why are you laughing? You're torturing me." I said, "It's funny. It's hilarious. Every, I don't know. Every five minutes, there's some like thoughtful laughter or some quiet chuckle. Like there's certain little lines. Some of them are in the trailer that uh, that I I just enjoyed. And then I, I guess the experience of seeing that that kid 
because he nailed it. The person that deserves most credit for this movie is the casting director. Oh, with all the casting decisions? Oh, Sam th- Neill? Because he's not someone you would think to put in a comedy. In fact, I can't think of any comedy he's ever made. Jurassic Park. <sighs> I knew you were going there, and I was hoping you would have the decency not to. But Sam Neill is a great straight man in this film. Because everyone else is crazy. <laughs> yeah. He's just simple. Yeah, I mean, Sam Neill, like I said, he's just not someone you would think for a comedy. He he just, he, he plays a straight man. He's He's so simple around all these other crazy people that he just lets them bounce off of each other. And he just stares at him when i was watching the film i thought that's what i want to be like when i'm older <laughs> yeah well that's what i mean he's also like a little cynical a little beleaguered he just wants to be left the heck alone mm-hmm. i feel like i am that way now the only thing i'm lacking is uh an ability to like make it in the bush i think uh but uh, that attitude that he expresses is i mean it works he's consistent all the way throughout I mean, there is there are some ridiculous things that happen just as a result of the chase at at the end of the movie or through most of the movie, really. But um, he maintains that sort of level, that sort of understated level. That uh, yeah, but even while they're ridiculous, I mean, there's this aspect of magical realism to the film. It, he still seems believable. Like I could actually see this being based on some crazy New Zealand story. Oh yeah. Yeah, and that people could do this sort of stuff. Um, This also movie seems heavily influenced by fairly new directors. It's like um, Watiti is the first of a whole new crop, you know, because he's heavily influenced by Wes Anderson, you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, John Michael McDonough, who's done some of the Irish films like The Guard. I see elements of there, at least with the uh, pacing of the comedic elements. A lot of the shots in the film, though, remind me of Edgar Wright, mm-hmm. the guy who did uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. The editing. Yeah. Yeah. That style, you know, definitely seems pulled from. So I think it's really interesting that we're seeing directors who aren't that old, you know, who've made hit movies in the last five to ten years. They're already having a high influence on newer directors. There are some... some- Interesting, really interesting shots in the movie that I thought would have, were CG. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one in particular that involves the young kid in the in the bush walking around and uh, sort of ephemeral. There's a very slow moving camera that was all done in camera, hmm. with stunt doubles. Um, so it's it's in the running for my shot of the year. I guess we should uh, maybe talk a little bit about the plot because. If you haven't seen the movie, I'm, I'm not sure, except for our high praise of it, I'm not sure that anyone would be endeared to go see it based on what we've said so far. But I understand you showed it to, or since you bought it on I, you bought it on iTunes, right? Mm-hmm. So if you own a film, you're able to show it in film class. Yeah, I was able example. to hook up a bunch of stuff to make it work. So you're able to show um, the first chapter to... Yeah, I showed class, the first or, 20 minutes. Or to 10th graders. I showed it to my film class. I had less than half my class in there today because of other activities okay. going on around the school. What was their reaction? Uh, they enjoyed it. And I, I didn't try and do a hard sell on them to make them like it. I said, do you want to watch a, a kind of weird, interesting film? They went, all right, because they trust me. And I said, it's uh, New Zealand's number one comedy. <laughs> And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, you guys get to watch a foreign film. And you could see the kids starting to think, well, where's New Zealand? 
Okay. And I explained to him, New Zealand's humor is kind of like Australian humor, humor in the same way Canadian humor is similar to American humor. Okay. Did you tell him it was near the, Old Zealand? Yeah, they're the Canadian version of uh, Australia. Okay. And so, yeah, we started watching it. They love it. Uh, the film opens with uh, Ricky Baker. Mm-hmm being driven up in front of this shack on the side of a hill, I guess, for New Zealand. It's not a mountain. No. And meeting this woman who's going to take him in, and she's a bit crazy. The first time we see her husband, played by Sam Neill, he's giving a piggyback ride to a dead pig <laughs> yeah. that he's carrying in from the Australian bush. Right. And, uh, and through a series of unfortunate events, they wind up together on the lamb. Oh, yeah. And uh, as you said, they they meet a bunch of interesting characters, some hunters. <laughs> some hunters. Uh, there's a child welfare worker who is leading this giant manhunt, played by Rachel House. Yeah. She's, she's awesome. I know. It helps that she looks a lot like Julian Dennison. Huh? There's, some, there's some duality going on there that extend the movie's themes, I think. Especially when they taunt each other. <laughs> they taunt each other throughout the film. And... Uh, it just adds this level of hilarity. There's a lot of slapstick with that character is involved, but then a lot of pathos where it's just Julian and his, uh, his, you know, foster father or whatever, mm-hmm. Sam Neill. And like you said, you can really see this kind of thing happening because, uh, Julian's character, uh, Ricky is sort of, uh, you know, out of, he's a misplaced youth. He's from the city or whatever. They show his hijinks in the city. When he's uh, what eventually leads to him getting getting hooked up with his foster family, but I mean he's but just he's, lonely. I mean, but he's also doesn't he doesn't understand anything about being out in the wild. So there's that element also. Oh yeah, he thinks all he needs is his water bottle, <laughs> his rubber, just yeah. a, a warm bottle, right, to hold on to. So I mean, clearly this is a kid who's suffering. I mean, has no real connection. So is dying for something to uh, love him. Are you going to revisit the movie in the future, or are you just going to let it hang there with those kids and just let them let them try to seek it out themselves? Oh, this is uh, if they want to keep watching it, they have to bring back in their uh, cards. Their um, oh, good, yeah, yeah they're <laughs> nice. not voter registration cards. Uh, uh, federal aid cards <laughs> federal aid cards yeah because those are always hard to get back in so i told him if, if everyone can bring them back in i'll let them choose a movie and i'm hoping they choose this one. Oh yeah well um, so then the rest of the kids can watch it too so many people just need to see this movie do you think i mean it's it's very highly acclaimed critically it's probably like one of those festival darlings that we've had we're getting near uh awards season it seems to me like it's a stretch, but do you think that any of the uh, people involved in this movie could be nominated, nominated for any sort of award? I would love to see this get nominated for Best Foreign Film. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was thinking even beyond that, though. Oh, for uh, part of Best Picture? Maybe not Best Picture, but I was thinking Sam Neill for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, I mean, I'd love that. I don't think that this has a high enough exposure rating. That's why we need more kids to see it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like our kids, because they can influence the Academy. But I, I went back and rewatched the trailer after seeing the film, and I'd seen the trailer months ago, and thought, oh, you know, this looks kind of interesting. The trailer still doesn't really make you understand what the whole movie's going to be like. Is that by design, do you think? Is it, or is that just a function of uh, translation? 
I coming think from a different country. Some translation, some just you almost have to show full scenes. There's a scene early on when uh, Ricky has his birthday party, mm-hmm. or he, he they celebrate his birthday, and it's funny, right? And then it's sweet when he receives his gift, and then he has he tells them, uh, "This is the best birthday ever." Right. I think this is my only birthday <laughs> I've ever had, and it's so sad. Right. And I mean, this is all within the span of a minute. Right. And you hit this whole emotional range, and they do that time and time again throughout this film. Well, you asked a question about improv. Um, apparently, they shot that that scene eleven times with the happy birthday song. Mm-hmm. Found out they didn't have the rights, so the actor actress made up that song on the spot, and they had to reshoot it. So a lot of uh, Sam Neill mentioned how you know how tired and bored and annoyed he looked. Uh-huh. He says it was a function of sitting through <laughs> eleven shoots with uh, the happy birthday song, I wonder- which someone owns the copyright on that. Can you believe that? I thought they were getting ready to lose that copyright. Maybe he may have re-upped it or something. Every time that song is, you're, you're supposed to, even if you sing it at like Chili's or whatever, mm-hmm. which is why they have those ridiculous, you know, birthday songs in restaurants. But if you were to sing it in public, you owe a fee to <laughs> the copyright artist. You mentioned you or thought Sam Neill could be nominated for best supporting actor. And then you just said, you know, he was grumpy in this scene because he was grumpy. <laughs> I know you're a big fan of Leonardo DiCaprio for looking cold during The Revenant when he was cold and thought he deserved an acting perf- uh, right. award for that. Do you think Sam Neill was just pissed off this whole film? So maybe I just, I like people who suffer and are angry because they remind me of myself. Yeah. Angry, painful sufferers. Or do you think Sam Neill is just this happy party guy, life of the party? I think... No, I think he's a sweet guy. I think he's actually a really nice guy. He, he talks about his animals that he owns on the farm that he raises, you know, that he, he's in love with. So I don't, I don't think he's as gruff. I think he had to put on an affect. And I, th- and I think he had a genuine, um, affection for that Julian Dennison kid, which, you know, that sort of conveyed in the character of Ricky. And Uncle Heck, and you know what you see at the end of the movie is probably an accurate reflection of their relationship now. Mm-hmm. I saw Jen Dennison on another interview, and he said that he'd never heard of Sam Neill, except he went to his Wikipedia page and he was like, "Oh, he was in Jurassic World or Jurassic Park," and he went and he checked that out. And uh, Sam Neill asked him what he thought, and he was like, eh, "I watched about half of it. <laughs> I fell asleep." Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I. I Tony wants to to uh, adopt that kid. <laughs> I said, I don't think we have to. I think he has a real family. Yeah, I think he probably has a real family. I wonder if that kid's going to be able to go on and do more. Well, he I mean, looks he's... a lot older now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, this was probably filmed two or three years ago and pre-pubescent in the movie. Well, so even during 16. the movie, he changes. You can definitely tell yeah. it was filmed over a period of like two or three months. He's much taller. I think they had to add padding to him. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the film. He definitely looked like he lost weight. Yeah. I mean, I'm not picking on because of his weight or anything, but just there was a bit of a physical transformation. Right. But if there's a lineup of orphans and you get to pick a kid based on just whether or not they're fat or skinny, are you going to pick the fat kid? Are you? I, I have no idea. I think I'd take the, the muscular kid, the kid that can mow the yard. <laughs> take the fat kid. <sighs> uh, yeah. Um, does New Zealand humor translate to American humor? Well? That's what I was afraid of when you're talking about showing it to your classes or 
I, I, I would love to show this as a coming of age movie. Um, I know some of the slang they use is a little bit difficult to understand, but in context, it makes a lot of sense. And the second time I saw it through, it was a lot better. So, um, for me to understand some, you know, what he was saying, what was going on. But I, I think the situations are such that everyone can relate. Everyone knows what it's like to be lonely. Everyone mm-hmm. knows what it's like to be annoyed. But sometimes foreign films, I guess, the humor doesn't translate well. Like, there aren't a whole lot of great Australian comedies that I would point to. Uh, some people like British humor. A lot of people don't. Canadian humor generally is not that good. Well, the world is becoming more like itself. Like, th- this is a very modern, has a very modern feel. Like, I could see this in a, an American version um, with, yeah. you know, maybe different actors. But the humor would still make sense. I mean, it's it's a situ- I, situational irony. And there's something endearing about that kid, Julian Dennison. I mean, he, he's a big part of the success of this movie. But I, I don't, I think Taika Waititi has a, has a feel for what's, I mean, funny is funny. You know? Yeah, no, I disagree with that. Eh. I, I do think humor can be cultural. I wonder what would have happened if I told my kids this movie was made in Kentucky. If they could have picked up on it. No, they wouldn't have. You said all the smart kids were in the uh, assembly? No, no, no. Most of the smart no, kids were kidding. still in it. Most of the smart kids were there. Uh, yeah, I agree that there are cultural differences for a lot of films, but I think this movie has less of that. Yeah, I just, I mean, some cultures seem to go better off with our own. And to me, New Zealand seems to work pretty well. Well, this guy's sensibility, at least. Yeah, and I mean, he's doing the new Thor movie. I'm interested to see what he does with that, though I'm a little worried because he does seem to be an acolyte of Edgar Wright, who was originally uh, the director of Ant-Man, worked on that for that like three years. Great. Yeah, and then he left. Ant-Man worked out great. <sighs> It was a much better movie than you give it credit for. I mean, at least in terms of my personal enjoyment. That's fine, but the director had a lot of issues dealing with Marvel Studios, and they didn't like his style. And he's like, how do you not like my style? Why would you hire me based on all my previous works, and you've seen what I like to do? Why hire me for this job if you don't want me to do my thing? I seem to recall a lot of uproar concerning the production of Ant-Man during the production of Ant-Man. And Thor Rangorik has been in production for a while. I think they're shooting now, right? Something like that, yeah. They've had a long production cycle. And I know they had to push back the movie release because there were issues with the script before they even brought the director in. But I've seen stills. I've seen scenes released from the movie. The guys that were on set, you know, they they insert some of these things into promotional materials for other Marvel things, and everybody seems to be having a good time, and you haven't heard a whole lot of controversy surrounding that director. So, at least he seems to be satisfied that he's able to convey the message that he wants to in the movie, or and maybe his brand of humor will hold up. I mean, it's got to fit into their plan, but... Yeah, I mean, we'll see. You, the movie's still... 13 months out. I mean, it comes out in November of uh, right. 017. I think Marvel is really good at giving a frame to their artist, but they're able to do what they want on the inside of the frame. I think Edgar Wright just had too much. He didn't like the frame. He didn't like the frame they gave him. Maybe. So. And I mean, at times you're going to strike out. 
Marvel has given a lot of indie type directors who have a quirky sensibility a lot of free roam. Peter Gunn, who did Guardians of the Galaxy, had previously done Slither, which is a horror comedy that's over the top, and my favorite superhero movie, Super. Oh, okay. Well, who was behind The Incredibles? Um, I thought that was the Pixar guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I thought he was doing a. A Marvel, Marvel movie too, but I thought for some they reason they wanted to Peter bring Gunn. him in. He did no, he did uh, Tomorrowland. Okay, Joe yeah. Johnson. No, that's not right. It was a sad, sad day in movie history when Tomorrowland was seen by me. Peter Bird, something like that. Something uh, like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but Tomorrowland, I mean, it had a lot of promise, and apparently Disney highly influenced that film. The script they approved is nothing like the script they got made. And unfortunately, people were signed on and couldn't get out of their contracts. That was supposed to be a much darker film, and you can see elements of that in Tomorrowland. Yeah, but it's a Disney property, so I don't, I don't. Yeah, but if you come to them say, "Here's the script," and they go, "This is great. We want to make this film," and eight months down the line, they start changing everything and turn it into this PG-friendly slapsticky mess. Well, they have to suffer, you know with the product that they want, but they still, they're, I mean, Disney's highly protective, more highly protective of their, well, Disney and Marvel are sort of tied in together yeah, of their image. So I can see Disney, like this is supposed to be a, this is supposed to be a ride for kids. So we can't have this horrible movie, sadness and darkness has to be light and refreshing. So yeah, you're right though. That did affect the movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a drawback. And you're right. It's also a bad movie. (laughs) It's just not great. Uh, Maybe it, one day we'll get a director's cut. I don't think that'll make a difference. I just don't think the property is very interesting. I mean, a ride based on or a movie based on a ride. When did that ever? When was that ever successful? I know you say this ironically. Yeah. I'm still waiting for Teacups, the movie, <laughs> interactive 3D Dumbo ride. I think they're trying to do a live action Dumbo Teacups, the movie. They are. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I, I don't think it's on the slate. I know Beauty and the Beast is next. They they're working on Mulan. They just signed uh, some people to Aladdin. So it's going to start to be here every year. We're going to get a live action remake of a classic Disney film. All right. Uh, the guy that did um, Chefs or Chef John Favreau. Yeah. What did he just sign on to do? I thought it was Dumbo. Possibly he had done this year's Jungle Book, which is the third or fourth highest grossing film of the year. Right. And a lot of people are surprised it's done that much business, but everyone enjoyed it. It stayed in theaters for a long time and just yeah. steadily made money. Yeah, he, he he's gonna be in some movie for Disney, some some movie that's all there are no it's it's gonna be live action animation like the style of Jungle Book, but there won't be any real people in it. Oh, he, John Favreau's created so doing technology. There's a great article on Jungle Book in uh, Cinefects, I think from two or three issues back, where, I mean, they were using turntables so that the actors could walk during these long 3D scenes. Okay. Like having them walk down a path, if you're just doing that on a little soundstage with green screens, that's really hard to do. So they just had moving platforms. Huh. So, yeah. Uh, All right. That's, a a, that, that's not about wilder It's not people. about the wilder people, but that movie Wilder People is... As lush and gorgeous as, um, you know, a lot of those movies that are completely animated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're able to get a lot of color in this movie. Well, and there's even a joke about it feels like they're in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> right. And Lord of the Rings were, was filmed in New Zealand. They filmed a lot of it in Hawaii, too. 
apparently there was a huge uh, hurricane that hit Hawaii when they were there. And it wiped out all of their sets. It hit in the middle of the night and they had to leave. I think they woke up at like 3 in the morning. They all left the island. And when they got back there, all of their sets were just wiped out. Oh, wow. Yeah, just crushed. And it was a direct hit on the island. So, I don't know what scene or what sequence. But, anyway, uh, you can't really tell. I mean, the, it's a high-quality movie. I can't wait to show it to my film class for a coming-of-age type of thing once we move out of this. And you said this is firmly your thing. number one so far. Right now, I can't think of anything that I will revisit with as much wonderful, wondrous glee and joy as Hunt for the Wilder People. And the, I can't. there's not one movie that I can recommend more, especially when you have The Witch as number two. <laughs> You had that high? I don't know. I can't remember. I just know. I, I mean, there was a hell or high water, but I can't. I can't recommend that to all of my kids in film class because it's you know R-rated murder movie. Yeah, I think I still I have to put hell or high water as my favorite film. Yeah, this. But this this is up there. It's probably in the top five. I have a feeling that I could turn on Hunt for the Will Pete at any point and just be pulled right into it. Hell or high water, probably have to watch it and like invest a little bit more time. I'm not, not that I'm unwilling to do that. It's just like I could see this being, you know, a classic for me for years to come, like, uh, a million ways to die in the West, for example, or Nacho Libra. <laughs> Jeez. I think this could definitely become a cult film. I could also see this being very popular for, uh, like Comic Con for people to dress up. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and you yeah. know, do these various characters. Um, we have to do what we can out there, laughers, to make that happen. <laughs> so go see this film and then tell all your friends about it, and let us know what you think. How would they do that, Mister Bull? Oh well, they can email us at thelaughpodcast at gmail dot com. They can tweet us at thelaughpodcast, or we're on Facebook dot com slash thelaughpodcast. Send us a message. You do that so much better than I do. You realize that. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So you but practice at night, I know. It's what I say before I get into bed at night. <laughs> uh, the other thing they can do is they can go to iTunes and give us a review and a star rating. That can really help us. That would be awesome. Bring our message to the masses. Um, thank you in advance. Thank you. <laughs> thank you in advance from the Laugh Podcast. Normally I end the show with a quote. I don't think we need to spoil the movie. I already did at the beginning of the movie, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm good. I don't really have a quote, but inspired by Ricky Baker, I wrote a haiku. <laughs> Nature goes gangster. Wilder people bring funny. Dog tension aside. So for Mr. Bull over there, it's been a pleasure. I'm Richard Lusk. Pox at Bodum, everybody. There be dragons. Are you going to the movies this weekend? Let Laugh know what you saw. Send in your review by emailing the show at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com, tweeting at the Laugh Podcast, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash the Laugh Podcast. The best comments will get read on a future show. Now. Were we recording before? No.
Oh, okay. I no. think we were. No, we weren't. Okay. We, no, no, I know. Because uh, I hadn't you... hit the button. You're like, are you ready? I'm like, yeah. And he All looked right. at me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to man the controls on this. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go. Oh, we're going. 